Okay. Hey, uh, so uh, my name is Kyle Roach. I'm the general manager for Amazon Sumerian. Uh, we launched the product uh, Sunday night at Midnight Madness. I don't, did anyone actually make that? Just a, a couple? Okay, so a little bit of this content uh, we showed during the keynote. So some of the fun parts we'll probably show again, but it looks like that won't upset more than three or four of you. And the ones who are there, it's fun anyway. So um, what I want to go over basically is uh, why do we build Amazon Sumerians? What was the background behind it? What's our thinking and the placement in the market? Um, go through kind of the first run experience. I'll walk through the IDE's overview, uh, the different parts that are, that are contained in there. Uh, and then I'll explain basically the, the science behind uh, Sumerian hosts, why we built that and how it works. Uh, and then, you know, whatever time we have left, we can do demos. You can yell stuff at me. We'll try to build things on the fly if we want to do that too. Uh, this is an overview session, so um, I tried to get as much of kind of demo type content through here as possible. So there's only like, you know, eight or 10 static slides. Everything else is motion captured from the tool or we'll do it live, so hopefully it stays interesting. I can't really see you with the lights, so if, I'm, if I get really boring, you can yell at me. But um, Great, so the background on Sumerian. So the idea is you know, AR and VR has got, you know, got a ton of traction in the consumer space already. Um, we're seeing a lot, obviously, in the gaming space. Uh, we already have tools within Amazon that address the professional game developer. Uh, now, that market in general, those tools are on a race for more and more like, advanced features. So as easy as they are to kind of pick up and you know, do one-on-one type stuff, they're getting harder and harder to become a professional on. Uh, so we looked at uh, basically you know, what does the enterprise market need to get into AR and VR faster. Um, on the hardware side, you know, these things are now becoming available. GPUs are in laptops. Uh, the HMD costs are dropping. Um, all the browser tech you know, between Google and Chrome and you know, Edge is sort of on the market now. But um, uh, Firefox and Chrome, they're, they're doing great things for WebGL too. And they're pushing really you know, how do we bring uh, 3D tech to, to a browser-based system. So we introduced Amazon Sumerian on Sunday. So it's in limited preview right now. We did launch it in six different regions, and you know, we'll move those pretty quickly. Uh, if you're interested, the, the, this is sort of not really important on either side, but the entire tool was built on the serverless framework, so it's very, very scalable. Um, it'll hit um, basically any cloud front region from the, the browser side, uh, and you can anchor your 3D content in any of the regions where available. So. It was a really interesting architecture. We built it like a customer would build a product uh, on AWS. All right, so the benefits of Sumerian. So Sumerian is a browser-based 3D editor uh, specifically designed for WebGL 2. We do have back-level support for WebGL 1, mostly because of iOS. So iOS still only has uh, WebGL 1 support, so we down-level gracefully if you're on an iPhone. So we, we built a bunch of preloaded templates, so I'll talk a little bit about uh, those, and we'll show you kind of a, a motion pass of one of them. Uh, we have this sort of character system, which we'll talk about. These are called Amazon or Sumerian hosts. Uh, now, in the browser, everything's done with a visual state machine. So you can basically point and click your way through a connected experience. If you do want to dive in some more, uh, there's an in-browser JavaScript editor as well. So obviously, you know, you would expect we're, we're sort of coupled with the uh, AWS services, and I'll show you some of those uh, demos live too. On the WebGL2 side, we do, um, we do support PBR, HDR shading. Um, there's a bunch of the, the new sort of shader tech that comes with WebGL2, so you'll see the full WebGL2 spec inside, inside the engine. Um, great. So one of the things we launched with uh, in mind was basically training content. You know, we felt like this is a new space for, for AWS. You know, we, we do obviously have the game development tools, but 3D for JavaScript developers is not something we've offered to date. So we wanted to make sure that there's a lot of training content available. So on the website, and you can get to these with or without access to the tool, there's something like 30 to 50 different tutorials ranging from beginner to, to expert, everything from you know, just getting started to connecting a scene to an IoT uh, WebSocket to do multiplayer and game-tracked objects and things. Um, there's some of the tutorials there. 
The entire uh, engine scripting API is fully documented in online too, so you can go through that uh, before you have access if you want to kind of see what types of uh, methods and interactions are available. And then obviously the manual, so. All right, so the first run experience. Um, you log into the console, we introduced a new category called ARVR. So we, we kind of thought about this one for quite a while. It's, it's hard, we didn't want to really use a name like that, but uh, just because it's easier to find. Like if we put mixed reality in there, then everyone would argue about whether or not it's mixed reality, and then if you put AR, they'd argue about AR. So we just went ARVR, and now it's like everything, I guess, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, you find it, Sumerian's oh. right there. It, if right now, without access, it'll launch you to the preview page, and you, you fill that out, and you know, um, we'll, we'll let you in as soon as we can, so. All right, so when you, when you open it the first time, you're presented with uh, this type of dashboarding screen. So on the screen, we've picked basically a bunch of templates that we created for you to help you get started. So the ones with the hosts in the scenes, they have the fully animated character already set up. They have an SSML speech ready to talk. Uh, so you basically go in, you pick your language, you hit play, and it runs you through that kind of demo experience. So you can basically change text, hit play, and you know, get a quick, quick demo done for them. On the, the scene sizes, or the templates on the middle row there, we created like a training room for you, an industrial warehouse, and that's a very large scene. You can kind of cut that up and use pieces of it. Like there's a container, a shipping container conference room, and like a conveyor belt, and there's a bunch of different little micro scenes within that you can use. There's a corporate training room. Um, Nokia and AWS IoT did a cargo ship demo on the, in the builder's floor, so, so that template's available there too if you want to use it. And then just like the default lighting one. Now for ARKit, I'll talk about this a little bit later too, but for ARKit, we have a template set up basically with a transparent skybox. Um, and a bunch of camera scripts to rotate in conjunction with the iPhone's um, IMU. So that's how we're serving AR content. Basically, you create the scene in WebGL the same as you would for VR. Uh, and we export it through basically one line of Swift code. Uh, you can compile your app. And then when, when the phone moves, we move the, the camera system uh, in the scene here. So I have a screen capture of that. So we'll show you kind of it working, but we're not going to build one here. So. So this is, this is called uh, Playblast. Uh, Play we took this from uh, Maya. This is where we built the, the scenes before we imported them into Sumerian. So this is that warehouse scene I was talking about. Um, pretty large scene, two different stories. Uh, you can kind of go through and pick pieces of it out or, or just use it to get started. But the idea was, you know, as a JavaScript developer, the art is gonna be harder to come by. You know, you could go buy stuff from TurboSquid or, or get, get it for Sketchfab or Poly or whatever else. But, um, but it's still you know, sort of an effort to construct the meaningful scene just to get going. So one more thing, this got a really good response um, when we launched mid at Midnight Monday. We we're, were basically talking about artwork you know, from, from a JavaScript development perspective. Um, so what we've done is, you know, obviously we support 3D formats like object files and things like that. So you can import from pretty much anywhere else. Uh, you can actually drag and drop an FBX file um, with the animations. And we'll, you know, we'll move most of the animations, but um, FBX is supported also. So you could drag it right out of Unity. Um, but as far as content, what we wanted to do is really find a way to give you things that are, are from the real world as well. So we uh, took an integration with um, Amazon Retail. So right now it's a bunch of our private brand stuff, um, but we're moving through furniture very quickly, we're moving through uh, consumer electronics, uh, a bunch of things that would help you kind of put a set together. Uh, so the idea is that when these, um, these, these are all models that Amazon is building or we're scanning or we're doing some kind of blend of both of them, but we maintain basically the link back to what we call the ASIN, the Amazon sort of identification number on the retail side. And then we link those up in the objects in the scene. So, so you can use our artwork, you can create your own kind of, um, you know, your own environment there. And then through the referral program, we call it the Amazon Associates program, you can earn money through referral back to the, the retail site. So 
you know, today we see that a lot with bloggers. Um, you know, they're linking back to product pages when they're doing unboxing or reviews or something like that. So we feel like you know, there's a potential for a 3D developer to sort of earn, earn referral credit in the same sort of way. All right, so here's the editor. Um, like I said, everything is done right in the browser. Uh, basically, you want to be on the latest version of Chrome or Firefox right now. Those are pretty much the two. Um, on the VR side, Firefox seems to perform better. On just the 3D editing side, we're having better luck with uh, the later versions of Chrome right now. So if that helps. So on the left, you'll see sort of something familiar if you've ever done 3D tooling before. There's an entities panel. This basically organizes your entire scene into a hierarchy. Uh, we have first party support for certain objects. So if you drag something like a character in, you just see the character's um, host object. We, you don't, you know, we kind of hide all the material and all the other stuff because there's you know, hundreds and hundreds of little things underneath there. So, so anything that we've built and put in part of your scene, we'll, we'll create like a little, a little cluster for that. So under here is your asset window. So you can drag and drop FBX files or objects files right into your window. Uh, and then they'll get loaded into basically this asset bin that you can move things in and out of your scene. And I'll show you how that works too if you want. The 3D canvas in the center, um, this kind of works just like uh, any other 3D canvas if you played with one in a browser before. So you can pan, zoom, move around, uh, set your scene up. So anything from the left side on the entities panel, you can drag right into the canvas um, and it'll, it'll load up, then you can move it and transform it. On the right side, so kind of working from, from left to right, you have the editor, you have the scene, we click on something in the scene, then you have the inspector panel. So there's a bunch of different components here. So this is where we'll start to see first, start, first party support for different Amazon integrations. So for example, with a host, we have a speech, speech component. So you click on the host, you can go in and sort of customize how, how they speak, what language they're using, um, what you know, lexicon, everything else. And then uh, you can even do things like drag their, their lip syncing animation off of the audio stream so you can get it kind of right, right where you want it. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about how that stuff works in the deep dive tomorrow. But, but on the right side is where you'll see kind of the custom things that, that we're adding to these objects to give them connected intelligence. Uh, so then there's a web VR button. So the idea here is that if you're in a browser on a machine that has uh, you know, Oculus Revive set up uh, and it's connected, you can just hit play and that's it. So you can see your scene, you can navigate around. Um, so it gives you kind of a quick way to, to iterate on development. Yeah, so right now actually you don't, we don't see a mirrored view in the browser, you see a stereoscopic view. So that's one of the things that we wanna get done pretty quickly. But yeah, right now it'll split the eye in the browser. So it's not great if you're looking at two screens at once, but, but it'll work shortly. So on the bottom here, we have the visual state editor. So this is basically um, any game object in the scene, uh, you can add a state machine to it. So you can have state machines can have multiple behaviors. So the state kind of uh, flows through some sort of inbound action to trigger uh, events and response. So I can have one for, you know, I'm catching mouse clicks. I can have another one for looking for maybe WebSocket messages from AWS IoT or you know, in response to a speech ending on a host. So it's all drag and drop. Um, each of the state machine um, uh, actions have events that you can tie to those two. So we're gonna try to build one at the end. I'm gonna, I have a little scene with a drone and we'll see if we can make it, make it fly up and down. So, cool. And then from there, uh, we have basically two different ways you can script. So you can add a script to any, any part of the scene. So I can attach a script to a game object. I can attach a script to uh, the scene itself. Um, we have you know, everything from global variables all the way down to the individual object variables, so it's pretty easy to pass things back and forth. There's an uh, event emitter system within the scene, so you can send triggers between objects, or um, you can also send them back and forth through AWS IoT. So you can do things like uh, 
take an IoT device shadow, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the IoT system, but um, that basically holds a state of a connected um, physical object. So you can do the same thing with a virtual object in, in your 3D scene. Basically, when this rotates, the shadow rotates on the cloud. So it gives you an easy way to synchronize um, experiences across multiple browsers. So, and all that fan out happens on IoT automatically, so you don't have to do really anything for, anything for that. So uh, let me talk a little bit about how we're, how we're sort of structured on the billing side, and then I'll go into why we provided some of these templates for you. Um, so Amazon Tumarina will be billed, basically, it's free to use, the editor's free to use, the, co the hosts are free to use. Uh, we charge you for the streamed content um, of your playable scene, and then the 3D objects that you've added to the system and stored. So storage and usage, basically. So the idea behind that was, you know, a lot of 3D tools are targeted at licensing fees for the developer. So the, the less successful developers are basically subsidizing the more successful companies. So we wanted to kind of flip the model around. If your scenes are getting hit a lot, you're paying for the streaming costs. But if you're just kind of tooling around with it, learning how to, to develop, you know, making something for internal use, you presumably have lower, lower, set, of or lower set of usage. And so then, you, you know, your bills should, should work accordingly. So everything now you, you invoke within a scene, so if a hosts are, are powered by Lex and Poly, and I'll talk about hosts in a bit, like if I wanted to synchronize my game objects to AWS IoT, or if I wanted to invoke Lambda functions every time somebody clicks something in a scene, all of those things just hit the normal meter. So you'll see anything you invoke downstream, you'll see that on your bill just, just as you would uh, normally. So, so we set up basically a CloudFormation template for you to set that in motion for your customers. So you pick the CloudFormation identity pool, or CloudFormation stack you want to use, which we have a couple different samples. That has a Cognito identity pool. And then from there, all of your running scenes, your customers um, that are logging into, or however you're going to kind of protect those, or if they're public, it's fine too. But then they all start to tick your bill um, for everything that you're using. So, so to do that, we, we put these up on the website. There's a bunch of different CloudFormation templates, one for like voice and poly, and one for uh, you know, WebSocket access and things like that. So. So those launch the CloudFormation template, and then you can, I'll show you where it is in the scene, but it's basically just one, uh, one field you have to enter. So this is just a quick example of like how, how I'm authoring something in VR, and then I export it out to AR. I don't know if you were there Sunday. We actually recorded that like right before the keynote, and so it's on the casino floor, and then we like tried to jam it into the, the video, so that was, that was super exciting. But, um, it's the toaster, named, they're named after me because they're making fun of me, but so they call it the Kai Roaster, which is not. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Maybe I'm toasted or something. Um, okay. So that's, uh, that was just kind of the preview of AR. I mean, uh, we released the code. You can see it on GitHub already. So you basically go in there and you just add your scene URL, and then it swaps out the WebGL scene in the, the iOS file. So cool. So I'm going, going considerably faster than I thought I was going to be going. So maybe we'll do more demo stuff here. All right. So the idea behind uh, Sumerian Host. So you're in VR. Uh, you know, your, your eyes are covered, you're sort of immersed, your hands are pretty much occupied with controllers or something like that. Um, you know, we, we feel like voice is sort of the natural interaction or natural medium for interaction with an immersed user. So we wanted to be able to kind of address a few things. We want the scene to be able to listen and respond to the user that's, that's inside. Uh, we want uh, things like if I deploy a scene to a digital sign or to TV in a, in a large venue, we want that to be able to interact with the user face-to-face. Um, if you deploy one on a TV with a connected camera, um, the host can maintain eye contact with that particular user and start to talk back and forth. We use Amazon recognition for that. So the conversations are driven by Lex, and then we need the scenes to talk back to the users as well. So we've added support, obviously, in the characters uh, through Amazon Poly. 
So that's Sumerian Host. It's sort of this 3D embodiment of these different uh, sort of systems. So uh, you know, they're used to basically guide users through your scene or provide like a, a, you know, an NPC type character experience. Um, they can speak any of the languages that Poly can speak, which I think is like 25 now. So it's a pretty interesting. And if, if you look at kind of the stuff we released this week on uh, translation and all those other things, it becomes very power powerful to kind of build a, a multi you know, language, language scene. So I wanted to go through a little bit about like how these characters are built and why you know, this is an interesting sort of feature that you get as part of the experience. So this is kind of a sample team. Um, this is actually uh, how each of our character teams are, are set up. So I just used our, our sort of, um, I'm using our own sketches too. So this is, I don't know, kind of representing employees here, but uh, not really. So, uh, the, so we, you have basically a team of six is kind of the minimum to get a, you know, a high quality character out the door. Uh, and they all have sort of different specialties. So each one of these people have you know, gone to school for a particular part of the character pipeline. Uh, and that's when I'm gonna kind of break down how we built these and, you know, and, and what, what steps they take. So first we have a sketch artist. So the sketch artist works with like our, our program management teams, our outbound you know, customer teams on you know, what type of characters do our customers wanna see uh, in their experiences. So then they just draw a ton of these. So we have, um, right now we're doing mostly internal surveys, but these are things that you know, we'll, we wanna involve with customers now that the tool is out there. So looking through basically what type of personas, what type of profession should they have, what type of you know, ethnic backgrounds, um, size, shape, whatever. Um, and so we go through a bunch of those. And so this is all just on the sketch side. Now because Polly is starting to add you know, uh, sentiment and emotion and um, different sort of facial shapes, we wanna make sure that we address those types of things as well. So they go through kind of all the different emotions that we're capable of animating based on something that Polly could have sent us. So from there, you know, the concept art, you know, like I said, we, we review it a bunch of times. We, you know, we get it in front of as many people as we can. And once that art is approved, then we move into the 3D modeler. So this is like black, Martin, black magic art to me, I don't know. But they um, basically, you know, he's got like four or six screens sitting in front of him, a bunch of things he can draw on. And they're, they're molding, uh, the, or sculpting really, the, the character's um, body shape, uh, weight distribution, um, everything from like the, the eyebrows to you know where the, where the eyelids are, so this entire mold this just takes um, weeks to get one one mold really done really well or one sculpt done really well. So this is usually done in something like like Autodesk Maya or something like that. So from there it goes to a technical artist. Now the technical artists take that mold and then they apply a skeleton to it. So this gives us the ability to start to add animations to to the character's geometry. Um, so we have uh, basically everything right now, we're, we're articulating even the fingers, the lips, um, the eye rolls, eyelids. So when, when she says or he says something from Polly, uh, they'll make the appropriate facial gesture, the appropriate hand gesture. Um, we have point of interest systems, which I'm gonna show you here, that like, it does natural sort of tracking. So the eyes will move, then the eyelids, and the you know, eyebrows, and the head. So all of that stuff is done by this rig, the skeleton that, the, the, that we've applied to the character's body and face. So then you have uh, basically the animator. So the, the animation part kind of gets a little goofy here and there too. So if you're here Sunday, we made a character kind of dance to an AI music, and I'm gonna show you that in a second. Um, excuse me. So then um, the animator basically takes that rig and then applies a bunch of motions to it. So this is super important for the way that we articulate characters, and I'll go through kind of the differences between animations, emotes, and gestures, and how we infer what we should be doing based on what Polly's telling us that we're gonna say out loud. So it's a really interesting system and it's totally controllable by you guys too. So you can trigger basically animations and emotes um, on your own or through the SSML. So, 
So I'll go through that. So if you weren't here Sunday, um, at the end, right at midnight, we launched, you know, this is the first launch of the week, and then um, this character came out to dance. So I wanted to mention that the, the music there was created by an AI service also. So we basically took, um, we have a, there's a motion capture studio that we use in Seattle. Uh, we had a bunch of actors that were wired up with, you know, infrared sensors and things like that. Uh, they were dancing to actual, like, just regular pop music, right, or whatever the word for pop music is now. Um, I don't, I don't know actually what it's called. <laughs> music for people cooler than me. Um, I'm still listening to like '90s grunge stuff. But yeah. So, um, anyways, so the, Duke Deck is a service out of London. A great, great group of people. They're basically sound researchers. But we gave them the tempo. Uh, this API is open too, so you can go on their website and try this out. We gave them kind of the tempo that we we're using, and then you know, it's the timing on the the climax and, and decline of of how we wanted that song laid out. And then they spit out a track that matches our motion capture exactly, which is pretty amazing. So we just told them the song that we were using and then how we wanted to kind of set the demo up. And they sent us that music. So I want to just mention that this, is, this was done from them. So uh, we'll probably cut this off early, but uh, I'm going to play it anyway. So. Hey, that's pretty good. I like that. Want to see my dance moves? I've named them after AWS services. I call this move DynamoDB. This one is called the Redshift. Next up is my favorite dance move of all time. Shit, I'm out of frame. Let me move back into place. Now back to my moves. This next dance move has been in beta for 10 years. I call it the Mechanical Turk. Alright, so make it fun of Mechanical Turk a little bit. Sorry. Sorry if there's a character in here. I was told Mike will come up and dance for us. So yeah, we introduced the next person that came on and Shaq came on. So anyways, it, it was pretty interesting. But you can see like uh, uh, how complicated it is to make a character move in that type of rhythm. And these, these are things that uh, with one line of code or one line of JavaScript or just through the state machine, now you can uh, invoke the, those types of behaviors on the character. I don't know how many of you are into like AI dancing applications, but like uh, there's other ones that are more, more practical probably for everyday, everyday purposes. Um, yeah, so you can see like with the motion capture too, at that one point, the actor actually did walk out of uh, the range of our sensor. So we had to kind of work with that when we got our data back. Um, so it's, it's pretty complicated just to get like a good, a good clean set of, uh, of motion data to use. So anyway, so a, kind of a, a segue there. So the animation has it. Um, after that, you know, we go into kind of a, a, basically taking that data and importing it into the engine. So now uh, we've taken it off of all the separate tools that all these different artists have used, and we're trying to get it from there into Sumerian. So that's something that we all um, kind of build for you as well. Now, if you look at the tooling, we, we basically did this as part of the business case and the characters. We, you know, when, when, we, when we explain things in Amazon, we always wanted to make it, this is a customer pain point, and how can we help make that better? So we went through, basically, if you want to build your own character yourself, what are the different tooling costs that you might be able to use, or might be stuck using, I guess, right? So on the software licensing side, it's something like 10000 a year, and then another 8700 per person afterwards. So it's super, super expensive to do this the right way. And that's something that we wanted to make sure that we could, you know, provide and enable for customers as part of this tool. So, so look, you know, it ends up kind of costing something around eighty thousand dollars per character to get this done. So, so we will, you know, if, if you are into, you know, this type of uh, development, or you have this type of team, or a type of partner, or you're just a heavy brand that really needs to see their own character in there, we will open an SDK for those types of people. So you can apply and tell us we'll get you the rigs for Maya and things like that. Um, right now, we've built basically a female shape and a male shape, pretty much weighted the same. Uh, so we'll do the first series of characters based on those types of uh, body shapes. And we can get, you know, the, you know, you can see kind of the variation there a little bit. You can, you can, you know, get pretty good variation there. Uh, it doesn't really change the height or the sizing and things like that. But 
um, yeah, we'll eventually continue to add like um, character customization. So this week, the character is wearing like a reinvent shirt, and you'll be able to you know eventually tag tag your own logos and things like that. All right. So that's kind of the development pipeline, and you know, like I said, why we did that. Um, so let me talk about how some of this stuff works, and we'll get into the, the more details. So animations. Um, so WebGL, uh, the editor, you know, when we started, had uh, one layer of animation. So we're basically, we can move an object from here to here. Now, when you look at how we speak um, and how we move naturally, that would never work for a character. If I wanted them to start talking, I'd have to have them stop animating their hands. Or if we want to do a, a gesture while we're talking, or you know, both of those things at the same time while I want to look at a user through the TV, uh, those are all um, basically layers of animation. So we have, um, we added basically additive animation support, but from there the characters are layered all the way through from their eyeballs all the way up to the lip syncing and the hand movements. So, so all of these are choreographed separately so that we can handle the blend shapes in between for you. You don't have to worry about those types of things. It really helps the characters kind of feel more alive. Otherwise you get, um, you get these kind of systems, like if you, if you just grab a character off of Mixamo or something and play it, you know, they'll, they'll run through one thing and they stop and then they start the next thing or whatever, right? So, all right, so there's two types of animations that you can kick off. Um, the first one we call emotes, um, and then the second one is gestures. And I'll go through how both of these work and how they're triggered as well. So emotes, so emotes represent basically some, this is bored, I don't know, he looks, I don't know. The, the artist thought this would be funny for Vegas. It's not, I don't know how funny it actually is. But uh, it's bored. He's bored. You know, he kind of moves his head back. I don't know. But um, so you can, you can do bored, happy, applause. And we have like a whole walk to, point at. So emotes you know, create this sort of sense of uh, movement and motion uh, in the system. And they're, they're triggered by events. So either you're triggering them through JavaScript or through uh, the state machine or you know, something had, had triggered and told that host that he needs to do something. Um, so these really yeah, yeah, help with the sentiment of the character and give them you know, more emotion when they're, when they're uh, expressing something. So this kind of walks you through a little bit of this. Uh, you can't really see the text, but on the left, you know, this is basically SSML, so that's what he's going to say. Um, no, I'll stop and talk about this after. Hi there. It's nice to meet you. My name is Preston. So on the left, all we did was type in text. He clicked a button on the right side of the screen um, that basically takes the SSML, or takes the text, runs it through um, an SSML check. I'm gonna, let me pause it. I don't want the video to, or the audio to keep going. Uh. It's nice to meet you. My name is Preston. Okay, well, thanks. I don't, I don't actually know where my mouse is, so. Um, anyways, uh, so. <laughs> We, we basically take the text, uh, we, we process it to SML, SSML, and then we inject the gestures based on that for you automatically. Now this is stuff that will eventually just happen um, through the, the pipeline between Polly and us, but we'll do it right there in the editor, so we click that and then it moves through. Now, um, this one we can stay on, there's no sound here, but. So the point of interest system, so when you start to put all these things together, now we've, we've taken the text, we've pro pro processed the gestures, and if, if you noticed that in the last video, he's, he went from standing still to, you know, hi, my name is Preston. Um, so he made these types of gestures just by inferring what he was saying out loud. So the point of interest system here, we have the character um, set to track uh, the camera. So you can track any point in 3D space or any object. So if you take the keyframe, you know, now you have uh, you know, video recognition basically right, with some of the new launches. But we were basically taking keyframes with Amazon recognition up until this point uh, and then tracking them with like local computer vision uh, so that we can watch the user walk around. And that's where the, you know, the, the point of interest system starts. So after, that's basically the eye attention. After that, you can get point at and walk to, walk around, 
So eventually you'll have everything from like pick up to you know, sit down in a chair, pick up the paper, whatever it is. So great. All right, so uh, maybe I shouldn't have started earlier. Now we're like totally ahead on time. All right, so why don't we uh, go do a little tour of the IDE. Um, I'll op open up a couple different scenes and we can play with it. Uh, and then you know, if we're still uh, short on time, we can do, um, do a couple sort of live demonstrations or something. All right. So this is uh, the editor. Let me close my inspector. Great. So like I said, you have kind of your um, objects here on the left. Um, a little drone object with the default lighting. This is basically your default lighting scene. Um, we can do a couple things. Like uh, we can create a new entity where we can add like primitive shapes, lights, things like that. Um, we can import assets. So this is what we were showing earlier on that other slide. So if I wanted to drag like a chair or you know another host or something like that into the scene, they're all they're all available here. Um, or the toaster, um, make apps that make fun of me. Um, there's you know a bunch of different ones uh, by default. So. So uh, th there's some other tabs that will appear on the left side here for partner integrations, you know, like Sketchfab and Turbo, Turbo Squid and things like that too. So you'll be able to pull those into the scene. Um, on the canvas here, I basically have you know, what you'd expect from a normal 3D editor. Um, you can move the objects around in 3D space. I can edit them up over here on the right. So I'm gonna go ahead and click on this guy here. So there's a couple of different things that happen in this scene. Um, we have a, a rigid body component, which sort of gives this guy a mass, and then a collider around it. So the colliders allow the, the two objects to connect and uh, make sure one of them doesn't like, go through the other one. So when you drag the drone into the scene and you give it you know, rigid body, it'll just fall right through the floor the first time. So I've added a collider to, to the uh, drone, and I've added a collider to the rectangle underneath it so that they'll, they'll make contact. Um, so the physics system just kind of works, or I guess I moved it a little bit too far. Um, <laughs> so let's see. So you should just kind of land right on top. Oh, he's still going to fall off. Okay, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, here. So let's um, let's do this. So now there's there's something called a state machine. So I've added the state machine component. It's it's pretty much empty right now to the uh, to this drone. So I can go in here and create more and more behaviors. So I've I've created sort of a template for one behavior. Uh, this is basically looking at. Can we see this? Okay. Uh, so it's looking at basically a key pressed event. Um, for looking for the key W. Uh, when it's pressed down, I've taken, here, let me just get rid of these. I'll show you how this works. Uh, I'm missing that one. There you go. Okay, so you just basically tie one to the other. So we're saying that on key down, we're going to send the event over here, and then key up, we'll send it back that way. So now each of these also have um, actions that are associated with them. So right now, they're not going to do anything. They're just going to send it back and forth. So if I play that scene again, and then when I hold W, you see the green, the green uh, action. So, so when the key is down, it's over there. When it's up, it's back there. So, so now what we have to do is basically, like, if we want to keep that drone in the air, we can apply like, a force to it, move it upwards. Um, so we can take this, this guy right here. We can add another action to it. Um, apply force, cool. So there's a bunch of different um, actions you can, you can use. You can scale, move, um, emit an event, send a message somewhere else. Um, there's a bunch of stuff around AWS. We're going to go through some of these in the deep dive tomorrow. Uh, but basically, when the AWS SDK is ready, you can add other events from there um, and then start to trigger your scripts and you know, Lambda functions, whatever else you want to do. So let me go back to you, force. Cool. All right, so we want to apply a force. So we want to apply it uh, in this direction, let's say. 15. Actually, yeah, we're, let me try that. No. 
There you go. So yeah, so as I hold W down, the force goes up, and when I let, let it go, gravity takes back over, and it'll land back and fall off again, I guess, or fly away. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty, pretty easy to add other actions there, too. So um, you know, we can have it rotate or do whatever. So there's a, you know, a, couple, a couple other kind of um, interesting things. Like I was saying with the device shadow, I can tie these events uh, to the device shadow and then start to take inbound instructions somewhere else. You could build you know, connected remote controls or things like that. So on the host, um, host works very, very similarly. So I have this object that I've already dragged in the scene because it, would, it takes probably 30 seconds the, over the Wi-Fi here. But uh, the Preston object is, is the character. Um, there's a different sort of object type for each, for each character right now. And eventually, maybe that's going to be a configuration item. We're not really sure. But you have uh, you know, the normal transformation stuff. And then you have this host system. So the point of interest here, um, you can pick, like I said, you can pick the look at entity. So uh, if you have none, then you, know, you can control that programmatically throughout the scene. Or we can sort of affix the character to one particular point in space. So I have it looking at the default camera. So I basically drag the camera over to here. So there's a couple things that um, you can control yourself. So you have the lip sync uh, and the gestures. So this is whether or not we should automatically gesture when we see the text come from Polly. On the lip sync side, Polly sends us basically uh, speech mark data uh, throughout the audio stream. So we'll make uh, the phone shapes for those different um, sounds uh, automatically. So we've mapped all the, all the different shapes that Polly can send are mapped to the character already. What's that? That's such a time saver. Oh, thanks. Uh, and then you basically have the gesture hold. So now if we infer a gesture, um, what we don't want to do is like have a bunch of words that kick off gestures all on the same stream and then have us like acting like some crazy robot. So you can hold a gesture. We think you know, four seconds seems to be about a good amount of time. You know, something big happened, and then I waited a little while to kind of retreat back to the idle phase. And then he'd pick up the next gesture that makes sense in the stream. But you can control that too. So if you want a character to be more passive or more over animated, like maybe a sales character versus um, somebody else, you could, you could do that as well. Um, great. And then you have your speech. So you can pick any of the voices from Polly. You can control the volume within the scene. So it does support 3D audio also. So if you wanted to set up a scene with like, you know, little pieces of audio around, and then the character is loud or, or less loud, depending on where you are, uh, you could control that. And then you have your different sort of um, speech files. So there's a couple that I created here. We have this like gesture speech and an intro. And then I was messing around with SSML, so we can try that one too. All right. So. Let's take a look at the state machine here. So this is really all it takes to start a gesture. So we dragged in uh, one action, um, which is basically with, with no trigger. So it's going to just happen. Uh, and it fires that, that intro speech. Now, when the intro speech is done, uh, it, it goes over and, and does, does the next one, which is basically his gesture speech. So he'll start to talk. And then when he gets the gestures, Hello, he'll my make, name is Preston. He'll I make all the different host. ones with the name of the gesture. So you can kind of see some of the ones that are supported. I can gesture while I speak. Some of my available gestures are. You, defense, in, wave, one, generic B, and generic C. Yeah. I'm not on the creative team, so. <laughs> um, OK, so, so, that, so basically, all that was was text input. If you look, you know, let's look, take a look at the file here. So the intro speech. Yeah, and it's probably a little bit hard to see. But we have uh, basically the, this, this is exactly the SSML you would use into um, the poly, uh, just if you went to the console and you wanted to drag and drop it. Now, it's interesting. We're using marks here. So these, these marks are basically ignored by poly, um, but they make it all the way through to us. 
So the mark is really the name of the gesture. So we'll probably put some more prefix in there so we can tell it's a gesture in case Polly you know, uses that field for something else. Um, but right now, you know, that, that'll come all the way through and it'll get injected into the audio stream at the right time so that the host makes, makes the gesture with that part of the, that part of the speech. All right, so I don't know. I was just I was messing around with this earlier. I'm not sure if this is interesting or not. But um, so you can change. Let me go back to this guy right here, and I'll show you something. So with SSML, you can kind of control the the dialect and the noise too. So, so was, uh, I was reading somebody's blog article about about this. But basically, they're taking taking it, trying to make it sound like a Boston character. So um, you can control kind of the rhythm and the pauses. So this is a, it's really interesting. Like, but you know, you, you basically make um, make these sort of um, uh, phonetic pronunciations uh, in your SSML, and then it'll change those particular words. So, uh, I didn't, I couldn't find like a full transcript, but I found enough examples to get one one sentence together. So basically, this is what the um, the, uh, the the sort of phoneme in SSML looks like. Um, every time you know, you say a word like park, you know, park the car, uh, and let's go grab a beer. I don't, I don't know. The sentence is just a bunch of words that I thought would would be like sort of Boston sounding, um, but. You can take that same thing, send it to um, send it through to Poly, and the character will adjust uh, based on you know whatever lexicon or accent you sort of apply there to. So this is sort of an interesting way to customize a character a little bit more than you'd get uh, by default. So, oh, so I have to actually let's let's wire him up. So we have the speech here. Um, so instead of gesture, I'm going to just change it to the Boston one. So he'll still say the hi, I'm, I'm Preston, and then he'll go into the Boston accent, hopefully. Hello, my name is Preston. I am a Sumerian host. Talk the con, let's grab a beer in the square. I'm feeling weird. So yeah, so that works, I don't know. Not super great, but it's close, right? I don't know. Um, anyways, so yeah, you can kind of change it. There's, there was an interesting blog article, somebody, uh, somebody did that, and I think I, I referenced him on Twitter too. So. Um, yeah, so you can you know you can basically build your own forum for different types of accents. So, and I, you know I, I expect that we'll we'll see some more of that type of work coming out of the research community as well. All right, so then let's take a look at emotes. Uh, so I have um, the three speech files, and this is actually pretty interesting. You can, you can attach as many of these to the host as you want. So if you want to run through um, you know a bunch of different variations programmatically, you can do that based on the state machine. Um, the one of the things that isn't in here yet, uh, which will be in the next week or two, um, you can just pick a Lex flow. So if you'd rather just do the entire thing in Lex. Um, you can put a host in the scene, attach it to a Lexflow, and then it will become like a live chatbot. So you still have to pick your speech component on our side, your speech and your language and things like that. But we'll do basically anything Lex tells us to do, uh, you know, at, at runtime, which is really interesting. So then it you know disconnects this experience from how you want to you know make your your intents and your your conversation tree. All right. So on the emote side, all right. Let's see here. So we got one little action called on key pressed. So let's go ahead and just add a key press. Um, a is fine, doesn't really matter. Uh, cool. And then we want to add another state for emote. Or something close to emote. Cool. So you have basically a, a play emote action. And that's, this is really the entirety of, of doing it here. And so we, we loaded a couple samples just for fun here. Uh, doesn't really matter. We could do applause. So cool. And then I take these two states together. So basically once the key is pressed, we're going to emote, and then when it's over, we'll go back and listen for the pressed event again. And that's, that's pretty much the entirety of, of setting that up. So, so he's still, he's still going to talk, so now multi, we have Hello. multiple statements he's running Preston. at the same time. I am a Sumerian host. He's going to do the... Talk sorry. the con, let's grab a beer in the square. I'm feeling weird. 
Okay. So and then uh, yeah. So if I press A, you see he's moved over to the emote. So emotes act, he's activated there. So. <laughs> So yeah, he's, he's good. All right, and then it goes back to the other one. So the state machines can all run in parallel at different game objects or at the scene level. So, so it's pretty interesting. Cool. Um, yeah, so that, that actually is most of the content I wanted to go through. Um, we can talk about things live in the editor, or we can open it up to questions if uh, that's interesting. I might have overestimated the whole starting early thing. So anything anybody wants to see, or do you want to you ask questions? So uh, Sumerian's uh, two, two different meanings. Uh, one from the book Snow Crash. I don't know if anyone's seen the book Snow Crash. It's a 90s sort of uh, satire book by Neil Stevenson. Has like this um, hypercurrency sort of dystopian future where people escape. Pizza delivery is like the only real industry that's left. And it's run by the mafia. So people <laughs> then people escape to the metaverse. It's called. Anyways, there's like this sort of uh, the Snow Crash is a virus that's introduced through the old like Sumerian language that can control both your person. Uh, in VR and then your your physical body as well, but also you know Sumerians are pretty good with like the invention you know language written language things like that. So a couple different references, but but Snow Crash is the the real one. So. I can't really see at all. Sorry. Uh, what would you do with the SDK? Just out of curiosity. Cool. Yeah. So uh, in the so in the tool, the the whole entire AWS SDK is already already part of it. So if we take a look here, um, see, so go to back to the state machine. So on any of these guys here, I can add an action for um, AWS SDK ready. So um, and I'll, I'll show you how this thing kicks off too. So basically, when the scene is already connected through your Cognito identity pool, uh, we trigger an event so you can start all your downstream actions, and then after that's open, you can run anything you want through you know Lambda or or anything else. So um, I actually have a scene that does some stuff. We can open that up too. So in the top of the scene, um, you have, I'm gonna switch between the two while it's loading. We have basically the SDK URL you wanna use and then your Cognito identity pool. This came out of the CloudFormation stack that we um, just clicked on that button in the, in the article, in the tutorial. A Little bit slow on the Wi-Fi, sorry about that. Yeah, so anyways, that's pretty much it. While it loads, I'll, I'll go back to that in a second when it is there, so. Uh, yeah, I'm on the, one of those Macs with like the, yeah, that's, you'd think I'd learn that lesson too, but cool. Slipbox. State machine, here you go. Okay, so this guy right here, basically um, he's on the SD, AWS SDK ready. When that happens, I'm waiting two seconds and I'm checking the device shadow. So from here, I can just go in and kind of um, add any of my SDK code right there. So just a couple lines here, basically checking for uh, different parameters on the shadow, which is now tracking all the game objects in the scene, and then I can react to those accordingly. So, uh, so you can move anything you want there. You can reference external scripts. Um, the whole thing's kind of open. You can attach your own uh, resources as well. So, cool. Uh, this so it runs in the browser. Yeah. So anything, if you do lose connection, uh, everything that's already been loaded in the browser will still run. Uh, you won't obviously be getting those types of events. So. Yeah, if, I don't know if Greengrass has like that sort of support right now, but. No, yeah, I don't think we probably wouldn't build something separately as much as try to piggyback off one of those one of those teams. So, you know, if that use case was supported in a browser, we would we would probably try to add that. So. so you mentioned IMVM, so uh, you can find it in the browser. How would 
So HoloLens has a, a WebGL uh, SDK. So you can take a scene and render WebGL to HoloLens. So in the same way that we do with uh, iOS. So we'd have that WebGL scene, you know, and then HoloLens, we would use the local tracking on that device to anchor and rotate the scene in real time. So th those licenses, th those are what we paid. Our, those are what I pay my art teams. Um, so th those are real numbers. Uh, I, you know, the sort of guessing on salary and stuff. We kind of just went off of normal averages. So, but. I don't know. I mean, I think for us, we want to make sure that all the characters that we introduce are high quality, so that they all work as expected. You know, eventually, I think we can get into some of the customizations and the animations and things like that. So maybe let you bring your own animation stuff. But um, yeah, but right now we're going to try to control that experience. You can drag your own host in, by the way. If you want to uh, just bring one in from Unity or somewhere else, you can do that too. It's there's no, and it's not like a closed system at all. So, but, hi. So first off, kudos. Oh, thanks. Oh, cool. Awesome. We have a team that looks a lot like the team we put in. Oh, thanks. So I think um, the quality, WebGL2 is pretty impressive, you know, PBR and HDR shading. So you can get a very good experience. I mean, you, you, right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to pretend you could build a AAA game with it. Like, you should go to a real game engine for that. Um, but for what, you know, corporate simulation, things like that is definitely, you know, in, in the ballpark of what you're going to need. Um, on the performance side, uh, Chrome seems to be um, throttling at like 60 frames a second. So that's about where, where we're seeing the, the top end. Uh, and again, these things can change. They're changing you know, nightly with new builds. But Firefox, uh, interestingly, last week uh, it stopped metering. So it was trying to push some kind of unlimited frames per second. So it was actually getting worse. Like it, we were seeing it was trying to do you know, two, 300 frames a second, and we're getting 20 to 30. So you know, we, we have to kind of control that. And you can do that in the scene as well. But um, yeah, 60 to, you know, 60 is OK, and 90 would be better. So I think uh, we're probably a couple months from the browser supporting 90. Uh, we haven't we haven't really gone through that sort of uh, you know limit test right now. We'll let you do it. The scene will just take longer. Um, at some point, you know that probably just degrades to unusable. But um, so you want to break that up into smaller scenes. But yeah, like the uh, that warehouse scene is is pretty large. I mean, it's a full um, you know it's probably like a hundred meters by something. So. Uh, they're yeah they're both or they're blend shapes yeah so. For, for colliders and things like that? Yeah, there's, um, yeah, right now, uh, mesh colliders is an extra script, but everything else is part of the tool, so. Yeah, so we're using the local tracking on the device, though. So what we've done is, like, if you export an iOS uh, app for, our, for AR, the, the, our camera scripts hook up to the AR kit in the application. So we're, we're using iOS for the local tracking and positional stuff, and then the scene itself is just kind of moving with you, so. Uh, it's, it's fine, yeah. I mean, I, I, again, I think it depends on if you go, you know, drop a three gig scene in there, maybe not as great, but um, if, if it's an AR example, it's you know, presumably not gonna be that small. But yeah, you can anchor a host even, so, and hosts are pretty large.
All right, well, I'll stick around for a couple more minutes. Um, yeah, again, send me that email if uh, you guys want to get in next week. So thanks. <laughs>